Welcome to Come Along for the Ride, where we make the world a better place for horses. I'm your host, Tracy Malone. I was born on the country of the Wiradjuri people, and this podcast is brought to you from my home in the Sanford Valley, in the northwest of Brisbane, Australia. I'd like to acknowledge the Turrbal and Yagara people, the traditional custodians of this land on which this podcast is made, and where my family and horses live and gather. I'd like to recognise their connection to land, water, community and our sacred animals. I am grateful to Elders, past, present and emerging, for keeping this sacred land here in Sanford safe and protected throughout many tens of thousands of years. I have great pride to live on country where the oldest known human beings tended to this land. I'm also grateful that you have taken the time to choose this podcast at this very moment. Thank you for being a part of the global change we are making to the welfare and training of horses. If you'd like to support the podcast and all the work that I do, then you can. Just head on over to patreon.com slash come along for the ride podcast and sign up. From as little as a cup of coffee a month, you can help me keep this podcast going. There are many tiers that you can choose from. And if everyone who listens gave only $5 a month, it would make a massive positive difference to me. There's a tier in there for small business subscription, just like the one Peter Papp took up from Peter and the Herd. This is the one where your business gets a mention each podcast. Peter works with equine behaviour and trauma recovery and equine communication, human and horse relationship building. Peter has actually had communication with my mare Gypsy, who's the one you see in the podcast picture with me, and he was spot on about everything, so I can highly recommend his work personally. You'll find the links to Peter's work in the show notes. In this episode, I speak with Mary Corning, who is an author and life consultant for the horse world and beyond. She has written a book called Perfect Practice, a philosophy for living an authentic and transparent life. Mary is a woman after my own heart, and we have so much in common in the way we see the world and our lives. I loved every minute of this conversation, and I know you will as well. What a rich and blessed life she has lived, being guided by both Ray Hunt and Tom Dorrance. I know, right? I am so glad she has written her book, and she is able to share her wisdom with all of us. So sit back and enjoy the amazing Mary Corning. Here is Mary. Mary, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. It is such a pleasure. First of all, can you tell me a little bit about what it is that you do? Well, <laughs> a little bit about that would be difficult. I could um, give me your elevator pitch first, and then we'll get yeah. right into the good stuff. All right. Well, um, what I do is um, I help people to have a greater understanding about their horses. Uh, It is something that comes from the heart. It's something that I have always felt. And after many, many years and being blessed with uh, really uh, amazing teachers to help kind of mold it and uh, guide me into the direction of understanding what I was feeling, I just work with the horse's mind. Um, Their heart maybe is even more accurate. And so a lot of times it feels like um, relationship work. I also work with people in the same way. Uh, I work with people to feel better about their life and to have uh, good relationships with uh, you know, they're the people they love and they're people they work with. So really it is relationship work, but in a very deep way. So I am not a technical writer and I also do not go by the word of trainer because really, in my opinion, the horse does all the training. Uh, if I'll listen to what Uh, the horse really needs. And so usually when I'm called in, it is when people have come up against a traditional method and no matter it seems what they can do, they just can't seem to get past a mental brace. 
So um, they asked me to come and usually it's, it's pretty evident where the uh, holes are in the relationship. And so I help kind of build a bridge. Wow. I can now see why I've been led to you and you've been led to me. That's what you were saying. You, you feel we're very similar. And even just the way that you've given me that elevator pitch, I can see that you're, you know, you're definitely a part of the community for sure. Did you grow up with horses? How did your life begin with horses? Well, that's interesting because actually I, I tell about that even in the introduction of the book because I did not grow up with horses. Uh, I did in the sense that all my life I was uh, mesmerized by them. And I tell a little story in the book that when I was a little girl, I would spend my allowance money on uh, the Mustang Association membership so that I could help wild Mustangs. And I was like about eight. I'm not even sure if I knew what wild mustangs were but they were horses and so i would spend my money and i would and my mother uh was a single mom she raised four kids and worked very hard and we lived in the suburbs and of course that didn't lend itself to this little girl who was horse crazy having a horse but at about the age of uh, i think i was about 11 she took me on a summer vacation to a horse ranch in Eastern Oregon. And I rode up a mountain that's called Black Butte on this amazing animal that, that filled my soul. And, and so I tell the story about how that trail opened up in front of me and I knew I was home. And that was also when I really connected with living in uh, the mountains, living in the woods. That it was like that moment in time just cinched the deal. <laughs> so um, that's how I started. And then I bought my first horse off a dude string. I would go out and ride every Sunday, uh, this horse, this mare, you know. What is a dude, dude string? string? Oh, <laughs> sorry, I was being presumptuous, wasn't I? A that's dude okay. string is, um, those are the rental horses, the horses that oh. work for a living and you just rent them for an hour or two and they take you on a trail ride, you know, and you just kind of go out and come back. And um, so I was doing that every weekend just to get my horse fix. And but then the, the outfit that I was riding with um, was going to sell the horse that I fell in love with. And I said, you can't sell this horse. They said, of course we can. So I bought her and I lived in the city. I had no idea what I was going to do. And I never owned a horse. And at 21, I bought my first horse. Wow. So, but the story really gets good after that, because what happened next was, of course, this horse and I had no idea of how to quote, get together, you know, and um, I was in this corral and there was a gal in there working with this pretty tight horse. And she looked at me and she said, I could help you. It turned out she was a huge fan of Ray Hunt and attended all his clinics and even hosted one or two. And um, so she introduced me to Ray Hunt within the first couple of months of owning my first horse. Wow. So I had about the best guidance a girl could ever have from that yes. point. Yes, you did. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So fate loves me. You know, the amor fate, the, the love your fate. Mm. I absolutely love my fate. I have been um, graced and I've been also, you know, bucked off and you know earned i've earned every bit of experience that i've had so it yeah, i just feel so great grateful for my life and now i i'm in uh i'm coming approaching 60 and i had the great fortune of being around ray for i don't know decades i guess 25 years or so before he passed and um and I'm still in uh, a great relationship with his wife, Carolyn, and actually just went and bought a baby from them. So um, 
I'm, I'm still going. I'm not done. <laughs> and what was it like that first moment of um, meeting Ray and learning? What was the first uh, piece of learning you were given? Wow, that's that question gave me goosebumps, Tracy. Um, you know, the first moment was surreal. Um, and I and I write a lot about these experiences. I mean, Ray is throughout the book. Carolyn endorsed the book, and it's uh, it's really about my relationship with what Ray taught me, uh, and Tom Dorrance as well. Uh, but when I first saw him, I was in a world of hurt in my personal life. I was in a terrible relationship. I was. Uh, had an alcohol issue. I mean, there were lots of things going on in my life that didn't feel good. And I saw Ray Hunt in a round pen with 10 Colts that had never been ridden, that were running and kicking and balling and bucking. And Ray got in there and they were absolute dancers. And I saw inside the horse in that moment and I realized that Ray had something that was unlike anything I've ever seen in any walk of life. And I just, that was it. I grabbed onto his coattail and I never let go. <laughs> wow. And what was his first piece of advice to you? Oh my gosh, that, that was so long ago. I don't know if I could say the first piece, but I have uh, countless memories of the one that comes to mind probably more so than most is, can you do less? Can you do less? Oh. And when I saw Ray in the round pen with those Colts. I never saw him do anything. I mean, he did things, but you didn't, see a whip or you know he didn't he didn't there was there was a, a communication in it and you know and he would he would talk about the people that were there to start cults and that was a, another early on thing i learned ray wasn't going to save you he wasn't going to make it easy on you he wasn't going to make you look good he was there for the horse that was that would be another one he'd say I'm here first for the horse. And, and he was. And there were people that weren't cut out, or at least they, they didn't have the experience to be starting colts, but they were in there anyway. And in the end, everybody rode. And how could he do it? How could he take that many people and, uh, and bring them with those horses and, and have that kind of success? It was tremendous. So. Uh, that was a big bridge to cross in my life. It took my whole life and I'm still working on it uh, to understand what that means to do less because in my experience, you can always do less. That's not an end result. Yeah, I love that. I'm, I'm sitting here smiling away at how do you do less. It's just like, yes, there you are. And there's some people who just get those things and are able to just sprinkle them through and, and put all of the training philosophies into one sentence. How do you do less? It's like, yeah, there yeah. it is. There it is. And Andy had about a, oh, I don't know. I had to limit in the book. Originally, I had 125 Ray Hunt quotes. <laughs> and <laughs> Carolyn said, Mary, this is your book, not Ray's. And so he, she had me limit it to 25. And let me tell you, it took me almost as long to pick which ones as it did to write the whole dang book, you know. Wow. <laughs> So where did you go from there? Once you met uh, Ray, you just went headlong into becoming um, a horse trainer slash coach. What what was the next step for you? You learned. Oh goodness, no, no, I was not worthy, and still am not worthy of of calling myself anything like that. But um, but I did find through. I mean, I would study his, back then it was VHS videos, you know, I would, I'd watch them all night and try to get nuances and try to understand. I'd go to clinics anytime he was close. And, 
and what I I started to understand a little bit was that I did have a natural connection that I didn't have to try. I there was love. That's the only word I could use, or maybe that's too too soft for some people. But there was a natural respect and admiration that I had for horses, and and it would seem them for me and i think that was sometimes ray would talk about give respect to get it and i had that i had such great respect that they would know that so it took a lot of years i mean and mind you i'd only had my first horse for a little while so i bet it was 10 12 years before um before i ever thought that i could offer anything to anybody and then and then it was only because my horseshoer said that my horses were always good to handle their feet. And I said, well, you know, I work at it. And he says, well, I got about 20 people I'd like you to help. And that's kind of how it went. I just went and started helping people. First, I started working with handling feet. And then I did trailer loading for a long time. And that's all I did because I've never been, I'm not a, a technical rider. I ride in the mountains. I ride in the hills. I ride in clinics. I ride on trails. I don't ride in. I've never shown. I've never had any ambition to show. Um, so you know that's how it started. And then you know word of mouth just kind of took off. <laughs> Best form of advertising there is. And so you went yeah. around and helped those people. Yeah, I helped the people. The shoer asked me to help, and then of course those people new people and but all the while I was a student and I still am and I, I really want to emphasize that Tracy I'm a student of the horse and I always will be and people call me up from time to time I don't hold I don't have a business card I don't hold the book is 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 just because I had to write it because it percolated for 20 years uh, but you know I when people call I come because I believe in saying yes. I believe in, if they call me, then there's a reason they called me. And I go and I do the best job I can to help them understand their horse. But it's not really, I never see it as living. It's, I, it, it actually is my living. It's the way that I live. Mm -hmm. It's not the way that I, uh, I, money doesn't have anything to do with it. Although, of course, I charge for my time because I tell them, Otherwise, I'd have to be flipping hamburgers at McDonald's or something, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Got to keep the lights on. But, um, you know, it all works out. I have a saying, you do what you love and the bills get paid. And I've had that saying, I've been on my own since I was 15. I've lived on my own. I built everything. I'm actually, I really relate to your uh your house commitment right now because we just moved our location after 21 years i just moved into a new place and it had no horse fence no barn no arena nothing so in the last three months we're developing our new facility and uh that's been a full-time job you know mm, it is it most definitely is and the first time you you went to help the first person uh when you got that call from the hoof trimmer what did you uh -huh. do I just helped them handle their feet. You know, I, the, the horses weren't bad. They never were. I mean, even the, even the hardest horse in the world isn't bad. It's just, you got to give them time. You got to let them understand that they're not going to get hurt and, and, and give them a choice. You know, I'm pretty good. You know, this whole thing about horse whisper, I've never understood that term because I always say they're the ones doing the whispering. I try my best to listen. That's and, my job. Yeah, I think that was that was penned by a non-horse person because to all of yeah. us horse people, it really doesn't make sense at all. When I no, go, no, no, no. We're, we're well, listeners. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, people like it and that's okay. It got yeah. the word out. You know, and I think Robert Redford helped that with the movie and, and that's probably where it it got started in the book, of course, yes. which, you know, yeah. So, you know, I remember Tom saying about that, he said about 
I think it was about the book and he says, well, I do my best to stay out of trouble, not get into it. So, (laughs) (laughs) so, you know, but it's all good because it did. I see that everything happens in the world exactly the way it's supposed to. And, and Hollywood plays a role in uh, delivering messages. That's what um, mythology is about. That's what storytelling is about. That's what, metaphor is about you know so um i think that hollywood helped to change the world of horses even though like you say us horse people we don't really understand what that means but um but it does have meaning Mm. to some yeah so i want to keep going back to this this one thing because i i know there's more to it the so you would turn up at somebody's place and their horse was having trouble lifting their feet and you would just uh-huh. say they need more time. So you were able to see and feel the relationship between the horse and the human and you were able to mend or better that relationship. What 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 was it you were really doing there? Yeah. Um, Can you give an example? Tracy, you're a great interview. You really do have good questions. This is lovely. Um, yeah, I can. Um, well, first I'll answer the first part about would I mend the relationship, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, um, and I wrote about this too, where I the the relationship, in my experience with both horse and horses and people, and now I have as much with people as I do horses. Most of the time, the people just don't know there's another way. They just don't know there's another way, um, you know. And and so when I could demonstrate it and say, hey, look at this. If you release, okay, let's use an example. If you go to pick up the foot and the horse shifts his weight, he's getting ready to pick up that foot. So if you release then. You stop asking. The horse is brilliant at understanding what was the last thing that happened before the release. It's it's magical. It's they're 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 beyond brilliant in knowing, as Ray would say, what happened before what happened happened. So if I could show them, they'd be standing there and they could say, wow, you know, he just shifted his weight and you stopped asking for the foot. And then the next time I reach down for that foot the first thing they do is shift their weight. Mm. And then I, I build on that. And next thing you know, he picks up his foot. Well, I, I don't even hold it. I don't even hold it. I just, oh, look, good job, you know? And he's like, oh, wow. So you mean you're not going to put me in a bind and hold my foot, which, by the way, I might add, between picking up their feet and trailer loading, both of those are about the greatest forms of self-preservation a horse can have. Yeah, because their feet are their defense and their escape, and a trailer is just a dang cave, you know. And neither one of those is natural. You talk about natural horsemanship; that's not natural. They spend their whole life trying not to do those things, Mm. give up their feet, or get in a bind, you know. So, with that in mind, um, that's a good example of doing less. And it was great because almost anybody, you know, even <laughs> I've got some people now that are adults that were kids when I was doing this and they watched. A lot of times kids get it way better than the adults. And, uh, you know, and so, so you'd build on it. You just build and then it doesn't, it's not a fight. You know, you take the contest out of it. You take the conflict out of it. I'm not going to show up anywhere and fight with a horse because there's a lot of people out there that put the fight in them. And, and I don't believe that I don't believe we can take fight out of any living thing. I think we got to just be able to show them that they don't need it. Yeah. God, I love that. Wonderful. And what happened next? What was the next part of the journey? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Well, it was a wild ride. Um, let's see. So I lived in a very remote place called Bear Canyon, and I lived. I it was just this broken down 
drug house basically that I rented and refurbished and built my own little heaven there, a little 60 foot round pen and I fenced it and I built a little hay barn and a little stall barn. And so I started, um, started really looking into myself more because I lived, it was on 80 acres in the middle of nowhere. Um, and so I spent five years there. And while I was there, I let go of a lot of the resistance that I brought with me in life that I mentioned I had when I met Ray. So that was when, um, you know, Tracy, I have a firm understanding that we bring to the horse what's inside us. And I had a lot to let go of. So I spent that five years uh, letting go of my own fears, my own resistance. I quit drinking alcohol and I quit smoking cigarettes and I quit being in um, dangerous situations with people and places and things, you know. And so um, at the end of that five years, I built this whole little horse facility. And sure enough, the landlord raised the rent because now it's this working horse facility. Yes. And I said, Oh my gosh, I said, you know, um, that just woke me up to say I better own my own land because they could take it away any day, you know. So then I was committed to that. I ended up buying 20 acres of undeveloped land. It was actually as steep as a horse's face and full of blackberries and poison oak. And there wasn't, well, I'd always asked I said, dear Lord, just let the next place be fenced because I hated fencing, you know. And I have a little bit, I wrote about one bad fence. It's a subchapter in the book. And I said, it had a broken down old barbed wire fence that I had to pull out, you know. And I thought, when you ask for what you need, be specific. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So uh, anyway, I spent the next 21 years up until just this year, uh, working and living there. I did that by myself. At that time, I was a single gal, have been most of my life. I met my beloved uh, when I was 50. So I now have two stepsons, and uh, my husband is my absolute partner in life. But boy, I had a lot to learn from the horse before I could get into that relationship. So, uh, so that's what I did for 20 years. I lived and worked there in the Canyon. And, um, that's, that's really where I started working with people. Um, there was a 400 year old Oak tree right in the middle of the place that was as wise as any being I've ever met. And I'd sit under that Oak tree and I, one time, I sense this comment says, you're going to share this place with a lot of people. Well, back then I was kind of reclusive. I didn't even really trust or think much of people. And I looked up at the oak and I said, well, you don't know me very well, do you? (laughs) And then uh, sure enough, within a few years, um, I started working with people rather than the horses alone. You know, I, it just somehow transpired. And, and now that is my, my, the majority of the work I do is helping people. So. And did you, did it just keep evolving from where it was? You just started with. Yeah. These horses can't pick up their feet and it just kept going. Yeah. Yeah. How would would somebody else describe what it is that you do? Well, I don't know because I don't let them. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't know. I've, I have such a, that's a really big challenge still for me. Um, because even on my Facebook page, I, I kept deleting titles because I'm what, what I do is I live from my heart and I have a deep passion for horses and I respect them. And I believe that part of my purpose on the planet 
is to build a bridge between people and their horses so that they can better understand them. And, and then that bridge extended because when you keep doing less and keep doing less and you go back behind the being, the person, the horse, um, then you just see life. It's, and Ray would say that. He said, this is life, L-I-F-E, you know? And, and so I kept, I kept going by deeper. And when I went deeper, then it made sense to uh, share this with people and horses and dogs and cats and nature and everything, you know? Even my relationship with life changed. How I ended up getting this other facility was a whole story in itself and you know it just develops it does develop when we'll just stay out of the way the my my take is that humans one of their most habituated traits is they get in their own way they just try too hard and they don't stay there long enough like even when you have a success you're off to the next the next the next the next and and so I don't, um, I, I'm just doing what I do. Like right now, what I do is I'm talking to Tracy Malone and mm. somehow she found me in the middle of the woods all the way from Australia. And I don't know how that happens. But. <laughs> it's an amazing it thing, happens. isn't it? It always blows my mind. It's in a, it, it, uh, and just even that the technology is here for us to do this blows my mind. It's yes. like, here I am sitting in my little office in, uh, in the Sanford Valley and there you are all the way on the other side of the world. And here we are connecting and creating a community and helping to change the world of horses. It never ceases to blow my mind. And, yeah, uh, it's amazing. I would like to hear the story of how you came across your new um, place that you're in. Oh my goodness! <laughs> I might have to write a second book. <laughs> <laughs> I am serious. It was we, Magnus. My husband's name is Magnus, by the way. Magnus and I have we have experienced some of the the most challenging times of our life um, this year. The day we put uh, the other place that I was in was called the Canyon with that lovingly nicknamed the Canyon um, for obvious reasons. <laughs> um, and uh, so the day we put it on the market was the day of the lockdown of COVID. And uh, so that was in itself a challenge. We also had put uh, some money down on a place right near where we are now that uh, turned out to be kind of what you might call a nightmare real estate transaction. Mm. Um, there was, it was anything but flowing. Um, and there, it just, you know how you keep trying to ride through it thinking it's gonna get better, but it doesn't. And there just comes a day you gotta bail off, you mm. know? And so after, much, much investment of heart and resources. We uh, bailed out of that agreement and willing to lose everything we had invested in it just to walk away. But then we had a buyer for, for the canyon. There was someone who wanted to buy it. And at that point, they decided that they were going to sue us to buy our own land uh, from us, even though we had nowhere to go. Wow. And so that was, uh, that's why I say literally there will be a second book on this because it brought me to my knees. I just spent my whole life and every single thing I have ever earned or all inspiration to build this place. And a judge could tell me I had to let it go. Wow. And I also board horses. So we had nowhere to go with, we, I keep it small. We have six and I, it was terrifying not knowing from day to day if I would lose the place. And so, um, but we, I believe the name of my book is Perfect Practice. And that comes from the, the understanding that Ray would tell us practice doesn't make perfect perfect practice makes perfect. So if I keep, if I kept fighting 
and defending and fearful and and pushing back then that's all i get back from the world so magnus and i really came to a place of surrender and surrender to me is when you don't know what's going to happen but you have faith in yourself you have faith that you make good decisions that that there is some greater uh, life source if you will that that's got this that's got the reins and um so in that surrender shortly thereafter this absolute perfect place except for the fact it didn't have a barn a fence or an arena but it was uh it was inexpensive enough that we could use the equity out of our other place to build a brand new facility so that's what we're doing um so that's kind of the reader's digest version but uh, wow and how did you why did you decide to sell up the other place how did you know it was time well it this was another than this i've also written about it was a very heart-wrenching time in my life as i said at the beginning that um i when i rode that first horse i also bonded with the forest and the mountains mm -hmm. and i built that place in the middle of a 900 acre forest uh and on on a hill and uh it was beautiful when i moved in and 10 years later i came home one day to them mowing every single tree on 200 acres right up to my fence line and then putting in a vineyard and oh so they then they erected six foot cyclone fences they took every tree and then of course the chemicals the water everybody was losing water because they irrigated um, it's what i call industrial farming mm -hmm. and it's all because it just so happens that that little hill that i bought all those years ago turns out to be the best soil in the state for growing pinot noir grapes for wine so <laughs> and it was kind of comical based in that i'd quit drinking 15 years earlier so they couldn't even buy me with wine you know yes uh but at that point i couldn't ride out my door anymore there were i was surrounded by vineyards within within five years every property on every side of me was a vineyard so i uh but it took me 11 years to find a place that was as good as the one that i had built because i built it from my heart you know mm. and here we are you'll have to come visit if you ever come to the states oh, definitely. and pay us a visit most definitely you're a woman after my own heart in the way you do everything it's wonderful <laughs> so, i had a feeling about that tracy yes yes absolutely so tell me about the book how did it um, begin why did you write it and and tell us a bit about it how did it begin it began the day i met ray hunt uh because i love to write I've written journals all my life. In fact, <laughs> a few weeks after we moved in, there was a forest fire that came through and we had to evacuate or at least prepare to evacuate. And the only thing I took were all my journals. You know, I'd written all my life these, this is my life story, you know, uh, and really, I guess they don't matter either, but I love to write and it's how I process so it's it's how i learn it's how i grow it's how i uh get away from myself or i should say stand back a little ways from myself so i can uh kind of have an objective view of what i'm learning and understanding so i always uh aspired to write um and as i went through the years with ray and especially when i transferred it to the use of with people with people to people relationships uh at that point i realized very very strongly that this is not about horses this is about life and and people need to know this they it would it, it was like and I, I couldn't help it tracy in fact 
Magnus and I were just paging through some of the uh, some of the chapters today because I I don't read it all that often. I've read it 25 times, I think, and um, and I said, "Wow, this is so good." And I said, "Who wrote this?" You know, <laughs> literally, literally, even while I was writing it. Yeah. I knew the difference between when I was writing it from being a, a, a one line I like to say is like being a hollow bone mm -hmm. where it just moves right through you. It doesn't stop with me and it didn't start with me. Uh, it just moves through me, you know, and, and there's big difference when I get a block and I would try to write a chapter and I would just walk away from it. It took five years to write because there were many times that I just needed to walk away from it and then come back. And as Ray Hunt would say, come back and take a fresh start. Yeah. And, um, and that's hard and, as a human. It's really hard to do. Mm -hmm. It's, it's hard to do if there's an agenda, but yeah. I didn't have an agenda. I didn't do it to become an author. I didn't even do it to have a book. I did it because I couldn't not. And, um, and it didn't matter if it took five years or 20 to me. I had to write it because I had to write it. And, and then as I, then when it was done, my best friend says, how will you know when it's done? And I said, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> And then one day it was done and I called her up and I said, Hey, I think it's done, you know? And, um, and then we had to figure out what to do with it. That was really a challenge, you know? And sure enough, the right people showed up. I had the best editors money can buy. I mean, we went all the way and hired an amazing firm and they, uh, we worked together for another year in the editing process and, you know, just everybody, it was a team effort. You know, mm -hmm. my husband would put the pages on the floor in the living room. We'd lay the pages out and rearrange the order and things. Like that. Wow. It was a team effort, but um, I, I can't, say how it happened it just happened like like helping a horse like picking up the feet like riding a colt like you know going to Ray Hunt's ranch first time I was ever there I pulled up just last week Tracy pulled up and saw his brand on the gate you know and it how did that happen I, I asked myself there again parked in front of the gate how did I get here and where have I been? <laughs> things to ponder, right? <laughs> yes, things to ponder. And and why were you there? I was there um, to see Carolyn, Ray's wife. And um, this is a great story. Oh, you'll love this one. So, you know, I can't remember. I don't remember time much or dates or anything, but Ray's been gone quite a little while, 10 years, I believe. Um, and uh, of course he was headed to a clinic when, when he died. And one of the things before what, you know, he never quit, he never quit. And he was bringing a mare into the bridal, uh, of course, during that time. And anyway i i had taken on a horse that had a lot of trouble a lot of had flipped over backwards with some people and as it turned out he's in the book the story about poco is in the book in fact he's on the cover uh as well those are my horses on the cover uh, but the anyway it turns out after six years of behavioral work with poco uh, we found out that his sacriatic joint was compromised and he's unrideable at the age of 12. And uh, I was devastated. And my amazing husband said, well, didn't Carolyn just buy a stud? And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he says, well, I wonder if he has any babies on the ground. So as it turns out, to speed this along, 
I called Carolyn and she says, well, yeah, I have four mares in full to uh, this stud, Black Magic, very Black Magic, he's called. Anyway, and um, so I said, oh, how convenient. <laughs> and anyway, so I ended up, while she was in the womb, I bought the baby that the very last mare that Ray was riding at the end of his life was carrying. And I, I picked her when she was in the womb. And then uh, a short, a little while after she was born, the mare passed away. The mare died mm -hmm. and the, the filly was orphaned. And I thought, oh my goodness, you know, there was, I, it was just, it's just devastating. That's the end of that line, you know? And so I said to Carolyn, I understand completely if, you know, and it's a, it's a mare. I said, if you want to keep that baby, I, I totally get it. And one of the greatest days of my life was the day that Carolyn said, oh, Mary, the best place in the world for her is with you. Oh. And uh, so to answer your question, the reason I was there was to meet my baby. <laughs> and she'll be coming home with us in the spring. So that's so beautiful. I it's incredible. Quite choking, I do. How beautiful. Yeah, yeah. What a gift. And here we go again. So it's not an end, it's a beginning. It's a beginning, all right. Oh, my God, it's a beginning. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. And Carolyn, oh, my gosh, getting to spend three days on the ranch with Carolyn and, and, and their grandson, Jayton, who is now uh, beginning to... Uh, Oh my gosh, he's such a horseman. He's he's amazing, Jaden Lord. If you ever have a chance, look him up. And uh, so we got to meet Jaden, and and I I'm hopeful that I'll be hosting him and doing some clinics here at Ray's grandson. You know, so uh, Ray and Carolyn's, and he is he is a great horseman too. So so the legacy continues. Mm, how beautiful and you said you met uh, Tom Dorrance as well is that right he yes I did a lot less uh, I wasn't around Tom not even a fraction of uh, as much as I was Ray uh, but I did I was able to see him a couple of times and um, there's another great story about that uh, gosh I don't know how long we should <laughs> I could tell you know you have called the writer when you the story can tell the story <laughs> tell us the story um well um so I also used many many Tom Dorrance quotes in the book because that's it's the philosophy that I was wanting to bridge was the philosophy of course everything that Ray shared he learned from Tom mm. everything you know, and he's the first to tell you that and always gave what he would call his friend to credit, you know. And um, and so so you can't talk about Ray Hunt without talking about Tom Dorrance. It's impossible. They mm -hmm. the two are uh, hand in hand. And so I also used a lot of Tom Dorrance quotes um, and Margaret Dorrance um, I had I was always sending the chapters to both Margaret and Carolyn as I wrote them, but um, it took five years to write, you know. And uh, somewhere along the line, I guess Margaret's um, I'm getting off topic here a little bit, but it is okay. kind of a great story. Um, Margaret's email changed, so as it turned out, she never got those chapters. So when the time came to call her up, and because Tom you know, had already passed by then, um, and ask for permission to use the quotes. She didn't know the material. Mm -hmm. And I said, oh my goodness. So I started visiting with her about it. And I said, you know, I just, if you'll have a peek and it doesn't fit for you, then I completely understand it. So she was willing to look it over and 
um, and and I was talking to her several times a week, and and then she, I stopped hearing from her, and sadly, uh, Margaret went into the hospital, and, and so her kin called me up and said, "Mary, I know you're doing a project, with Margaret, but let go of it. You know, we're we're saddened by her condition." And so I did. So I called the editing staff. We were almost ready to go to print. And I said, send it back. We're going to pull Tom's quotes, you know. And um, and then about a week later, the same gentleman called me up and told me Margaret had passed away. And I said, uh, oh, you know, I mean, a great loss, a great, she was an amazing woman. I had great conversations with her, spitfire, spunky, lovely conversations, you know, just two weeks earlier. Mm -hmm. And, um, and anyway, so I said, well, why are you calling me? And he said, um, well, because we went over your manuscript while she was in the hospital and she wanted me to give you her blessing. Oh, beautiful. And um, I don't know if there's been times in my life that I felt, I, I don't know how to describe it. The word that comes is empty, but not empty in the way that people think. Empty, you'd think you'd, think you'd feel full, almost just um, uh, so humbled and so in love in a way, so appreciative, so grateful. But those words don't really cut it. To know that, that these messages were conveyed in a way that could be um, supported and encouraged by the people I loved and admired more than any other people in the world. Um, if I never sold a book, it wouldn't matter. That's all that mattered mm. right there. Yeah. How perfect. <sighs> How can we get our hands on this beautiful book called Perfect Practice? Uh, well, you can check out my website. I have um, some I, I send out signed editions from there um, on occasion. And uh, probably the easiest, most direct way is through Amazon. They, mm -hmm. they sell it and it's, there's also a Kindle version. I'm so sorry there's not an audio yet. Actually, <laughs> yet. We looked into yet. that, but that is a huge undertaking. I had it no is. idea because I want to read it. I want to read it if I do an audio. So, yeah. uh, because it's mine, I don't. And it's I, the I, best way to do it. Yeah. When I listen I, to books, like Michelle Obama read her book to me, I'm like, we're besties now. She, oh, she told oh. me her whole life story in my head. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so Isn't that wonderful? That's it, amazing. Yep, yeah. Give I agree. Personal so that's why we don't, we haven't done it yet, you know. But anyway, but it is on Kindle, so you can put it on your phone, and maybe your phone could read it to you. Oh, um, not the same. There's an idea, I, Tracy. It is an idea, but I think I'll go the old paperback for this one. Okay, good. Yeah, bring a box of tissues. Um, yes. There's a couple of tearjerkers in there, but and a lot of humor. There's a lot of humor too. So it's it's and a lot of Ray's stories and. You know, it's a fun read. I even enjoy it. And I wrote the dang thing. But um, so uh, anyway, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, all online bookstores. And actually, we're in a worldwide index that pretty much if you walk into a bookstore and you ask them to search it, they should be able to find it. Um, so but between Amazon and, and uh, MaryCorning.com, you know, you, that's your direct route, probably. Beautiful. And I'll put the links in the show notes as well. It, uh, your thing you said at the start where you say you, you don't call yourself a trainer and you're not a technical writer. I got a beautiful gift from my friend just a couple of weeks ago. I, I went and helped her um, with trouble that she was having with her horse and it had escalated to the point where the horse was running over the top of the hoof trimmer. 
um, who was putting um, soul plates on at the time. And so I went and helped her with that because I'm like, I don't believe he's like the trimmer's like he's in pain and this is why I'm like, oh, I don't know. Let's go and see it. And basically I worked the relationships. I, I worked um, my friend's confidence. I worked a lot of things. And I was like the, the, the trimmer had lost trust for the horse. He'd had a bad day. He brought his bad day to the horse. The horse remembered. There were so many things going on. So I just worked through all the layers of that with her and it was wonderful, the result. She's now completely confident and happy to speak up for her horse and she sees what she did and um, in that her lack of confidence actually um, didn't help her horse and there was all of these layers. But anyway, and I walked in not having a clue what to do and I certainly don't call myself a trainer and I often say that I don't really know what I'm doing and no, I'm, not, I'm, I'm barely even a horse person is what I say. But she yeah. said to me, she said, Tracy, it's time to stop saying that. You make me so angry when you say that. She said, you know so much and you could easily call yourself a trainer, even though it's not the, the practice and the label you have. So I'm giving you that gift today, Mary, is that you have such an extraordinary wealth of knowledge that you can call yourself whatever you damn like. Well, thank you, Tracy. But quite frankly, and I hope nobody will take offense of this, but it's not that I don't think I could rise to it. It's that it doesn't cut it. Yeah. That's you know how I, I mean? feel as well. I'm like, oh, I, don't, I, I know what Just, trainers do and I don't do that because I don't yeah, see that yeah. world. I, I don't see yeah. any of those worlds. I kind of float through them all and yeah, very and, hard and to nail it down labels and and why should we anyway why yeah. should we well why it's only it? for marketing purposes so when people are talking about you and going you need to talk to mary and she does i'm not quite sure what she does really yeah. but you need to well, talk it to seems her anyway. to be working since australia called i mean <laughs> I, I am telling you i don't market i i did when i started the book we thought we had to do all those things we did. We do. Oh my! The the hoops we jumped through, and it was so inauthentic for me that I couldn't do it. And I, I mean, you just—I had publicists that I. She hated me. <laughs> I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't. And I know I admire you greatly. I looked before I agreed to this interview. I looked you up because because of that first year's experience. And I said, there's a lot, I, I, I don't need to market it. Life takes care of me and, and I'm thrilled you found me. And I never underestimate how that happens. Um, and like you agree, you said that for yourself. Um, but truthfully, I know the book will go where it needs to go. Mm. And uh, like I said, when I had Margaret and Carolyn's blessing, the two greatest critics of the greatest horsemen in the world, the ones that are, are not critics, but uh, uh, what the would you call them? Admin. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And for me, that was, I was, everything else is a bonus. Yeah. And I would rather have these books move off the shelves because I know they'll make a difference. I know they will. But it never does have anything to do with I do what I love and my bills get paid. And that's been my motto for 35 years. And uh, and I'm doing quite well. <laughs> hey, and may it continue on for many more years. And uh, I will I will get into your first book once this house is, uh, house is sold. And I will look forward love to you. the next edition. But for okay. now, Mary, thank you so much for your time today. But uh, most of all, I love to thank everyone for what they're doing for the world of horses. It's, uh, it's something I'm very passionate about, is, uh, is building this community from the inside out and, uh, and making the world a better place for horses. So thank you for everything that you've done for horses so far. Thank you. It was lovely visiting with you. I'm on a mission to create a community of conscious horse people so that their horses all over the world can live a better life. This is a big mission with a wonderful message and it needs your help. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to join me on my mission of making the world a better place for horses by bringing consciousness to the horse world, please do one of the following. 
You can go over to our Patreon page at patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash come along for the ride podcast and become a subscriber to the show. As Patreon members, you're helping this podcast become a weekly show once again. And remember, any funds that go over the cost of production will go into new and exciting projects that you, as a subscriber, will have a say in. You could also pop over to EdenRiverEquestrian.com and see our range of sustainable, ethical and organic gear for both horses and humans. Remember, 50% of profits go back to helping horses all over the world live a better life. Or you could leave us a review and tell the world why you love this podcast. You can do that through whichever app it is that you're listening now. The best place to do it is through iTunes. They give juice that gives other bits juice that boosts the podcast up. And basically that gets it into more people's ears so that we can make a real difference in the world. You could also share this podcast with a friend. Tell everyone you know about it and guide them to an episode that you think they'd really enjoy. All the links you need can be found in the show notes. Thanks again for listening and I'll catch you next time on Come Along for the Ride.